Tonight we're going to talk about cursed, and there's lots of different ways that this word cursed gets used. So if we sow sin, we're going to reap consequences. You know, when we talked about adultery, for example, we saw that uh, if you commit adultery, you reap death by stoning. And I would suggest that that's a curse. It's a curse to be stoned to death. It's not certainly not a blessing. Really, what's happened here is you know, are no longer free to choose whether you live or not. The decision's made for you, and you lose your freedom, and you actually lose your life. And so it's you could call it a curse. So under the covenant, you're cursed, and you die for what you did. The curse is on the participants, those who can, committed adultery. The curse doesn't go to the wife of the man who committed adultery. It doesn't go to the son of the man that committed adultery. The curse is on him. The blood guiltness will be on him, and he pays the price with his, his life. So in this case, it's not a uh, generational thing. It's a, it's a curse, and it's only the person, the people who committed it that are under that curse. There's no verse in the Bible, for example, that says, if your father committed adultery, then you will too. That you must commit adultery, because he did. Now, what's interesting, though, is you'll often see that pattern. The father committed adultery. The grandfather committed adultery. Now the son commits adultery. So you see that pattern, but it's not because of a curse. It's because the son saw the father do it. The father saw his father do it. And so they accepted it as right instead of and chose to do it also all right so there's curses that are the result of our participation adultery is an example another example is if you cursed your parents this kind of curse is a curse of words right that comes from the mouth and we'll talk about curses from people's mouths when we talk about words of power so we're not going to cover that topic very much tonight but if you cursed your parents, then you came under a curse. You're supposed to die. You're supposed to be stoned to death under the old covenant. Again, it was because of that person's behavior, cursing his parents, that he was to be stoned to death. And so that curse was just on him. It wasn't on anybody else. It didn't, it wasn't a curse on his parents, a curse on his mother and father his brothers and sisters, it was a curse on him because he's the one that committed the sin. So there's a lot of curses. The people who are cursed are the ones who committed the sin. Nobody else is. Now, if you committed adultery and there was a child conceived, that child would be considered illegitimate. And that child comes under a curse, even though they didn't commit the sin, they're the product of sin, and they would be called illegitimate. This child is under a curse because of his parents' sin. So the idea here is that, that there was this unholy bond formed. So there's this, if you want to use King James language, there's this bastard child that's born, and God says that he's under a curse. So we'll look at that a little bit more here. So this is another kind of curse that you run into. Now, this curse is on that illegitimate child, though. It's not on 
the legitimate son and the legitimate wife, it's only on that illegitimate child. It's only on the product of the un unholy bond. So the wife isn't suffering some sort of consequence. The legitimate son doesn't suffer a consequence. It's just that illegitimate child that does. So you can be cursed for what you did. But there's a second kind of curse. You can be cursed because you're associated with some group. You're associated through kinship with some group. And so scripture does talk about this kind of curse also. So let's look at the curses that are written in scripture that are related to association and the additional ones related to participation. Certain people, just because they're related, they come under a curse. Another way you can think of it is that they're not able to receive God's full blessing. That word curse, that's what it means. It cannot receive God's full blessing. So this means like their ancestors, they did something. And as a result of their sin, this generation or many generations become affected. It's cursed by association. So one group is, like I mentioned earlier, people born out of wedlock. No one born of a forbidden marriage, which means illegitimate birth, nor any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. So kids that were conceived outside of marriage were treated differently. God saw them differently. He said, you can't enter into the assembly for 10 generations because you were conceived outside marriage. And so that's they suffered a very big effect from their parents' sin. Now, we don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. And so like Jesus has become a curse for a curse is what it says. What that means is that he, he can cancel the effect of these curses on us, that Christ has provided everything we need to be free from the effects of this curse of illegitimacy. What this implies then, need to help that child pray in order to be released. They just need to pray and it's done. Christ has provided everything they need to be free. So for example, this child would accuse his parents for not for conceiving him before they were married. And then he would forgive them. And then he would ask God to remove the effect of their sin on him, to remove the curse that's on him because he's illegitimate. And that's it. It's a very simple process, but it can make a huge difference in a person's life. Mongolia, the students didn't accept this teaching, this idea that if you're conceived and your parents weren't married, they really didn't like this idea at all. Because so many Mongolians, their parents never married. 
And so this big argument, when I started to teach on this, a big argument broke out in the room. And then one Mongolian sister stood up, a sister we had done a session with the day before, and she said, I am illegitimate. And she said, I never felt close to God, but yesterday I accused and forgave my parents and asked God to remove the effects that it had on me. And she said, I've always wanted to feel close to God, and yesterday God hugged me. So she sensed the gap with God because of her parents' sin, and she also experienced resolution of that by just simply praying, uh, accusing, forgiving her parents, and asking God to remove the effect. So the whole classroom sat down because they knew they knew about this gap she was talking about that there was a a consequence to the parents sin that they suffered as the child and so we did many many uh, sessions with mongolian brothers and sisters and closed that gap so oftentimes the person who is illegitimate actually senses this this curse in their life. And oftentimes they will even say things like, I just feel like I'm under a curse. And you say, well, why would you be under a curse? And oftentimes this is what comes out. Well, my parents weren't, I was conceived outside of marriage. So that's one area that will come up in sessions. So you should talk about it and encourage them to pray in that way. Scripture also suggests that certain people born of certain races, that they come under a curse. There's no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. They did something that was so terrible that God wouldn't allow them to enter the assembly of the Lord for 10 generations. So what did they do? Well, they killed some of the stragglers when Israel marched across the desert. They killed some of the stragglers. They refused to give them water and refused to sell them food. And God very clearly said to Abraham that whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. And so this is really a fulfillment of God's promise going all the way back to Abraham. That was so egregious what they had done to God's people that he pronounced this curse on them for 10 generations. Now there's other races. There's the Edomites and the Egyptians. And in this case, it said, don't abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. Do not abhor an Egyptian, because you lived as an alien in his country. The third generation of children born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. So in this case, they did wrong against Israel, but not, it wasn't as bad. And so the curse lasted only for three generations. These two verses, they suggest or they imply that the offspring of a group of people may suffer a consequence from their people's sin. For example, the Germans attempted genocide on the Jews. 
maybe they suffer a consequence from that. It would be perfectly reasonable to, to think that. The Slavs, the Egyptians, and others also, they attempted genocide of them. Uh, the Turks attempted genocide of the Armenians. The Americans, they slaughtered certain Indian tribes, even tribes they had signed peace tre treaties with. It's reasonable to think that some of these sins are so egregious to God that he would curse this group of people, that they wouldn't be as close to God as they, they could. There's a blessing that's been removed. Now, it's not just this list. For example, the Japanese killed thousands in Nanjing, China. And so maybe they're under a curse for that because it was horrible what they did. Another example is the Chinese killed a whole clan of Mongolians, every single man, woman, child, and all the animals. And then they built a shrine to that, which still stands today. Maybe they're under a curse for treating this group of people in such a horrendous way. So if somebody comes to you and they say, I think I'm under a curse, ask them, why would you be under a curse? And if they say, well, I, I just think my people have been so horrible and terrible. And so I think that's why. Don't, don't dismiss it. Uh, hear their story and help them to pray about it. One Mongolian sister, we had this discussion about sins of your people and, and dealing with it. She said, well, how far back do I have to go? I said, well, how far back can you go? She said, well, 800 years. 800 years? She said, how about if I just go back 10 generations? I said, yeah, that's, I think that's fine, because that's what it actually says here in Scripture, right, in the worst case. Some people are very aware of the sins of their people, and that it weighs on them. And so you can help them to be released from the effect of the sins of their people simply by, by praying with them. Another group of people that come under a curse are people living in the presence of an accursed object. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house, or you, like it, will be set apart for destruction. Utterly ab abhor it and detest it, for it is set apart for destruction. This uh, implies, then, that there are such a thing as detestable objects. Now, what is detestable? Well, for sure, things that have been blessed or dedicated, you know, Buddhist things or Hindu things, these are things that we should not have. If they've been used in a ceremony, if they've been blessed, if they've been dedicated, these are detestable. There's other things that may also be a cult related that are detestable, but they haven't been blessed. For example, this American brother, he called me at 11 o'clock at night and he said, can you come over right away? So I came over to the house and I said, what's going on? He said, there's an American Indian princess sitting at the end of my sofa. 
I looked and I didn't see anything. And then I noticed he'd been drinking. So I thought, oh, okay, he's just hallucinating. That's, it's just the alcohol. But then I looked up and I noticed that on every wall in his living room, there was some sort of American Indian artifact. So I asked him, I said, so are any of these objects blessed or dedicated in some way? And he said, well, all of them are. I said, how do you know? He said, well, I was there. I was at the ceremony. So he'd been to multiple ceremonies and collected objects that were blessed and put them on his wall. And so then I thought, well, I don't think it's just the alcohol. I said, you need to get rid of these objects. They're detestable. And so he did. And after he got rid of those objects and after he prayed and asked for forgiveness for collecting them as a Christian and asked and making it clear that he didn't want anything to do with those objects anymore, that he had no allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. We'll see the steps in, in more detail later. So after he prayed and got rid of them, he um, never saw that American Indian princess again. Well, the other thing he saw was these black objects fluttering in the corners of his room, and they went away also. So I think they were related to the detestable objects because after he got rid of them, he was still drinking heavily every night, but he never saw them again. And I think it's because he got rid of those objects. They give an opening to Satan in our lives when we have detestable objects in our possession. Another example is from China. There was a market called Dirt Market, and you could buy just about anything. And they had a lot of stuff from Tibet, and oftentimes it would be human skulls. And the top of the skull was smooth, like really smooth found out why it's because the monks would pray and as they prayed they'd rub their hand across the top of this skull and so you would never buy that skull you might say well it's creepy you know it is creepy okay fine but this is an object that has been used to pray to worship and so you should not buy that it's a detestable object now to help you understand this more clearly though there was another market in Beijing that you could go buy a plastic skeleton, and it was pretty realistic. Should you buy that? Well, you might say it's creepy, so you don't buy it, but it is not detestable. God doesn't call that a detestable object. It has not been used in any kind of ceremony. It's not blessed or dedicated. It's not occult-related, but you might not buy it, but it's not because it's detestable it's because it's just creepy and so not every object is detestable not everything buddhist is detestable not everything hindu is detestable the things that are related to worship or have been blessed or dedicated in some way those are the things that we should not have in our possession now in this verse it says do not bring a lot of Chinese believers, they live with their parents and their parents are Buddhists and the parents have brought detestable things into the home. So what should the believer do? Okay, first of all, the believer is not responsible for bringing it into 
that home. The parents brought it there. And the only thing that believer is responsible for is if they worshiped in any way, and they should confess and ask forgiveness for that. They can live in the presence of that detestable object. They don't have to get rid of it. Like they shouldn't go throw away all their parents' idol worship stuff because the parent may never listen to them when they share the gospel then. And so we have to be very wise in how we deal with this. If you're in the presence of a detestable object as a believer, you can just pray and ask God to cover you. It does not have to affect you. You're a child of light. And so you can pray and ask God to remove any effect it has on you. One other example, this woman was a believer. She was a Chinese woman and she's a believer. And she was really, really angry because two Christians forced her to become a believer. That's how she described it. And so I didn't know how to deal with that. I prayed and asked God what to do. And God told me, have her accuse those two men and have her forgive them. So that's what she did. She accused them and forgave them. That resolved her anger. She had no anger towards them anymore. And just after I finished that with her, she switched into a different person. I mean, literally, like, I, I don't know who this is, but it turned out that she had all these Tibetan Buddhist things that had been blessed and dedicated, and she had them all over her house. And so I talked with her about those, and I said, I think you should get rid of those. I think they're detestable to God. And I think that's why you're in so much pain. Well, she refused to get rid of those objects. And so she goes back and forth between being this kind and sweet Christian lady. And then a moment later, she becomes this very violent and angry spirit-influenced person. She'll never be free until she gets rid of those objects. So it's a very sad, sad situation. But I can't help her. She has to choose to get rid of those objects that she brought into her home. So this is a very important principle. You'll find Christians that collect objects that are detestable. And every year there's more and more of these too. Every year there's something else spiritual that, that comes into our sight you know, especially America, there's such a melting pot now of of new kingdom of darkness things every year. This is an important principle that to recognize that some objects have a, a special power because they've been blessed or dedicated and they're detestable to God. And so we need to get rid of them. Scripture also says that people that participate in the occult people that participate in the kingdom of darkness, that they come under a curse. It says sorcerers or mediums and spiritists are to be stoned. Do not allow a sorceress to live. What they're talking about is people who communicate with the spiritual world. That's what mediums and sorcerers and spiritists do. 
And it also says a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their heads. Now, again, this is the this is the old covenant. We live under the new covenant, so we don't go around stoning people. But God hasn't changed. He hated this then. He hates this now. And so he's made it very clear that this is something that we should not do. And it also says that people who turn to mediums and spiritists, that they become defiled. Do not turn to the medium or seek out a spiritist, for you will be defiled by them. So there's a need for spiritual cleansing if they've done this a confession and asking for forgiveness, but also a need for spiritual cleansing from the defilement of doing this. Now, here's a an interesting case, is that this woman, her mother would go to a fortune teller every year and get her daughter's fortune. And she did this for, you know, more than a decade. And then one year the mother went to get her daughter's fortune and the fortune teller said, I can't see anything. So what do you think happened that year? Well, it turns out her daughter became a Christian that year. Somehow it seems we let Satan into our life when we accept things like fortune telling. We give him permission to influence or even control things in our life by accepting things like fortune telling. And so we're not supposed to seek out mediums or spiritists or anything that's that's like this. If you want to think of it this way, we're not supposed to seek spiritual power or spiritual knowledge from anywhere except from God himself. I think this is a good way to think of it because there's more and more of these things every single day, every year. And so the key question, is this spiritual thing from God? If it's not, we're not supposed to have anything to do with it. And when I say God, I'm talking about the God of the Bible, not some sort of universal God. Also in Deuteronomy, it says, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or cast spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. So basically God was saying that all those nations, as you enter into the land, into this promised land, all those nations that are there, these are the things that they've been doing. And that's why I'm letting you take this land. I think it's important to keep in mind that if we do these things, we will come under a curse just like these people did for what we've done. So just because we're believers doesn't mean that, that somehow we're safe. I kind of go into a lot more detail on these. A lot of people don't know what divination is or, you know, what is 
interpreting omens, et cetera. So uh, I'll just kind of walk through some examples here is uh, divination or sorcery. So these are all these examples are from uh, China. So this woman who came for a session, her father was a priest in a Taoist temple. He was the medium for the temple. And so the temple spirit would enter him and he would speak to all the other priests and people with the spirit present. So she was a believer and she became a safe helper also. But her father, this is the situation. So that's, this is sorcery. This is divination. You know, what should we do? Where should we go? All those kind of questions would be asked of her father. He was under the influence of that spirit. Another example, the fortune teller told her that you'll marry young, but you'll divorce quickly and live single the rest of your life. Now, she was a believer at the time, and so her hope is supposed to be in God, but instead she believed these, these words from the fortune teller. This is like a curse on her. You'll marry young, but you divorce quickly, single the rest of your life. These are not you're gonna these are not happy words. So she went asked this fortune teller about her future. Divine for me, my future. Divination's detestable to God. She should not do this. And so she needs to confess it and ask God's forgiveness. And she especially needs to reject these words and ask God to break their power. Another example, there's the I Ching in China, which is the book of changes. This guy would search to decide what he should do today. And based on the date and time of his birth and today's date, the book would tell him things like, it's unsafe for you to go outside today. So what's wrong with this? He's giving control over to this book of changes. He's giving up his freedom. He's deciding whether to do something or not based on a book that's not from God. And so this is also a kind of divination and divining is detestable to God. A Buddhist monk does a special ceremony so that the dead person goes to paradise instead of hell. It's also a kind of divination or sorcery. So the family consulted a feng shui expert to decide how to place the grave and consulted the Huang Li Almanac to decide when the coffin could be taken outside. See, it's all done by monks. And the family uh, lives in fear if they don't consult these monks. They really trust the words of these monks. But uh, divining the right day, divining the right place, this is detestable to God. Another man in China, his business was doing poorly, so they consulted a feng shui master who told them to put a large stone near the front door to block their enemy's force. So I have a bad things going on in my business. Divine for me what the problem is. And then he, he follows that advice. He's giving, he's giving the kingdom of darkness power in his life by ex ex accepting these kinds of things. Because God has made it clear, divining is detestable. This woman was sick. So she went to a chi master 
chi is this force, life force that goes throughout the body. And there's different chi channels, and there's what they call chi masters that can sense those channels. And so he moved his hands slowly around her body, never touched her, but he was forming her chi force. Now, whether that works or not is a different question, but you are seeking healing from a spiritual force that's not the God of the Bible. And so this is a form of sorcery. It's your sin against God. Now, I do want to point out that it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that Satan is powerless, that these things don't have any power. He just simply tells us we are not supposed to do them. And so we shouldn't mock these things because they're, there is a power behind them. And it's not necessary. It's not useful to, to mock them. We just create trouble for ourselves. And so I would avoid that. Okay, interpreting omens. Okay, she believed it was the year of the widow. It went directly from winter to summer without any spring. So it was the year of the widow. So she believed if I marry in the year of the widow, my husband will die young. Okay, this is right after I taught this class. She came up and asked me, should I marry this year? It's the year of the widow. That was her question. But see, here's the thing, is that this is a kind of omen. She's reading this omen, and she's following following it. Instead, she should put her, her life in God's hand. She should pray and ask God, should I marry this year? And so this kind of omen reading, it's detestable, and God has forbidden it. Another man, he lied about the year that he was born, because her parents wouldn't allow them to marry otherwise. See, certain animals of the zodiac can marry and other ones can't. And so he just lied about when he was born so he could marry her. Now, when the parents found out about the lie, they pressured them strongly to divorce because they were incompatible. Yeah, so there's real pressures from, from family on these things. People really do believe these things. And so they, they really do exist. And as two believers getting married, they should put their hope in God, not in this omen. Shouldn't lie about, about it, though, either. Another one, when their son was born, they wanted, they went to the temple and received an auspicious name, a lucky name, from the Lama in the temple. And the name was written in a book in the temple. This is a very common thing in Asian culture, actually. So the name is, has a certain kind of blessing, a certain kind of dedication going on here by writing it and then putting it in a special place in the temple. And so this is also a kind of omen that if you have a good name, you'll have a good life. And so this, again, is we're not supposed to put our trust in omens. We're supposed to put our trust in God. So this is detestable to God. There was a Taoist priest. He told the mother that when her child was born, there would be a black spot in the white of her eye, and that this meant that she belonged to the temple. 
And when she was born, there was a black dot, and everybody believed the priest's words. But we're not supposed to put our hope in his words. He, she's now dedicated to a temple. Now, how did the how did the priest know there'd be a black dot? I have no idea. But she should reject these words. She wasn't born to be in that temple. God desires that none should perish. And so she should reject these words because they're a kind of omen. And God said, don't read omens. Number three, engaging in witchcraft. This woman was very sick and the medicine didn't help. So she went to the witch and the witch said to take a strand of her daughter's hair and put it in this potion and drink it at midnight. And the witch then said, I promise then at that time to call your daughter's soul back. So she's sick because her soul has left her. And so the idea is call the soul back. Very common thinking in Asian culture, but it's a form of witchcraft. We're not supposed to put our hope for healing in witchcraft. We're supposed to put our hope in God. And so witchcraft is detestable. God has told us this very clearly. And yeah, so these are all sins. Consulting the dead. The father spoke to the dead ancestors. He invited a spirit to enter him. And then he spoke in the grandfather's voice to the rest of the family. And so this is a practice that's detestable to God. Another one, his mother was upset because her son wouldn't bow down before the ancestors. He wouldn't offer them food and wouldn't burn money. She believed that the ancestors' spirits would cut off their family line in response. So here's an example. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come bring peace. I came to separate a mother from a son. But that's what's going on here is mom's very strongly believing still in all of these false gods. The, her son is a believer now. So there's this division going on between them. So he should not give in to her demands. She should pray and ask God, what can I do and what can't I do? And there must be a way for him to honor his ancestors that isn't related to those spirits. And so he needs to ask God that question.
there's some activities that I would call suspect. And what I mean by that is that they're not, it's not clearly forbidden in scripture, but it's very suspect. And so it's something to think and pray about. For example, watching occult movies and television shows, is it okay to do that? Well, I can tell you that in most of the cases that I've dealt with, that those things affected the person. And usually what it affected was their beliefs about spirits and demons and angels and God. And the net effect is usually they became fearful as a result. So do you really want your source on God and spirits and demons that come from these television shows? Is that a good source? It may not be in scripture, but I think it's really unwise to, to rely on these things to inform you about the spiritual world. Very unwise. So it is suspect. I, I do want to share one story, though, that I met this Christian in China, a young man, and he became a believer through the exorcist. I said, how did that happen? He said, well, I was watching this movie and there's all these spirits everywhere. And he said, that wasn't a surprise. I see spirits all the time. But there was this man and he could cast out spirits. And he must have said, there's this man and he could cast out spirits. He must have said that four times in five minutes. So he was totally intrigued with the idea that somebody could cast out spirits. And so that was the beginning of his search for that kind of power. And what he realized is that man was a Christian, and later he became a Christian. And so it seems like God can even use these things sometimes, but I don't think that's the general rule. I think generally it, it affects our beliefs, and it makes our, us fearful, so they're not good for us. We shouldn't watch them. There might be examples where it's even worse than just affecting our belief, our beliefs, where spirits or demons actually, it's a door for them to attach to us. I haven't had that example, but I, I think it might exist. For example, some people believe that if a person dies violently, that their spirit remains at that place looking for someone to torment, so they avoid these defiled places. So where did they get this idea from? There's actually a TV series back in the 1980s in China. And this is where, when I asked them, where did you learn this? Almost all of them tell me about this television show. And so here's one very clear example of how beliefs were formed by a television show. If somebody's watching occult movies or television shows like this, you should you should have a discussion and uh, about it and how it affects them and whether it's wise to watch them and if they would what benefit is there from them? Is there is it give life in any way? If it doesn't, why do you watch it? But it should be a discussion because it's not dealt with directly in scripture. We should have a discussion. Another one, practicing yoga. Okay, now yoga, it's used by the Hindus to worship. 
And some of the positions are names of their gods. Now, Hindus have thousands of gods, but some of them are named after these positions. So some yoga teachers then, they use this as just as exercise, but some of them include Hindu meditation and study. So be very careful. If you're going to join a class and it makes you feel spiritually uncomfortable, then you should not attend. And if you're not sure if you have this kind of, I don't know, I'm not sure kind of thinking, then pray and ask God, is it okay? God has given you his Holy Spirit to guide and direct you. Now, in a similar way, in China, they have something called Tai Chi. And oftentimes, it's just exercise. But sometimes, there's a Qigong master that runs that Tai Chi class. And he Tai Chi is just the beginning. And he, he helps them develop this Qi spirituality. In one case, this Tai Chi class, they had a Tai Chi master and... He took them out in the evening to worship the stars, and they even had false tongues happen at this event. And so God has given us his spirit, and we should pay attention and listen to his spirit. And if if we our conscience tells us no, or God's spirit tells us no, then we should not do that. We should not be there. The reason I say it this way is that every year there's more and more of these things that they call scientific even, but are spiritual. And so we really need to learn how to listen to God's spirit to ask him whether this is okay or not. And we need that kind of relationship with God's spirit. Martial art, are they okay? Well, there's many forms of martial arts. Some classes are taught as exercise, but some involve spiritual forces. So again, if you join a class that makes you uncomfortable spiritually, then don't attend. If you're not sure, pray and ask, is this okay? Now, here's an example of a Christian brother. Okay, before he was a Christian, he became high-level Kung Fu student. And he could break a plate of glass with just a flick of his finger. Now, after he became a believer, he asked God if there was a spirit that gave him this power, and God said yes. So he stopped practicing Kung Fu and renounced the power that he received from that spirit and asked God's forgiveness. So I'm not trying to condemn all martial arts here. I'm suggesting that there can be spirits and that we can ask God and he will show us. The assumption here is that you're a believer, so you have a relationship with God and can ask that question. So these are all different kinds of activities. These are just examples from Asia, mostly China. But every country has their list, has their way of divining, has their type of sorcery, has their omens that they interpret. And so the, the concepts are applied to every culture, but the specifics will be a little different in each place.
according to scripture, there are locations that are defiled. One example is murder defiles the land. And except by the death of the murderer, there is no way to perform the ritual purification for the land where a man has been murdered. Now, this is, again, the old covenant. Christ can cleanse a location. The idea that a place can be defiled and that it needs to be cleansed is, is something that is scriptural. I have one example here is this mother was murdered. She is violently murdered uh, in her home. And her daughter cleaned up all the blood. I mean, there's blood everywhere. She was, uh, was very, very violent. And she prayed and forgave the murderer. And she trusted her Heavenly Father for justice. But after she was all done, she could not live in that home anymore. She was just very uncomfortable in that home. And so I told her, you should go with a couple of your sisters in Christ and pray together and ask God to cleanse this house from the spiritual defilement. And so they did. And she was no longer uncomfortable living there. And so scripture suggests some places can be defiled. Here's the thing, though, in Christ, under the new covenant, we have the power and authority to cleanse those places. So there's a place in the world today, I think, to pray and ask God to cleanse. We should re remember that. Here's another example. One of the places we lived in China was an old Taoist temple that had been torn down, and they built these apartments. But the courtyard was clearly a Taoist temple courtyard. You could tell by the trees and the way things were arranged that this was a Taoist temple. And the, the name of the bus stop was Lao Hu Miao, which means uh, Tiger Temple. I just thought, well, there's been worship and other things done here, dedications, etc. So we should just simply pray over this apartment and ask God to cleanse it. And so that's what we did. And so I, I think there's a place for cleansing. Another example in the U.S. is that there was a building. It was a Masonic temple building. They decided to buy it and, and make it their church. Well, I think that's okay, but I think it's also wise to pray and ask God to cleanse this place. We can, we have that power and authority, and places can be defiled, so let's ask him to cleanse it. So if there's any, if anybody has that thought, let's cleanse it, or feeling that it's defiled in any way, then just simply pray. We have that authority. We have that power. Another example in China, the house churches are often in, a, in apartments, and they just had a lot of trouble in this apartment all the time where they met for church. And or what they found out actually was that there's it was built on top of a cemetery. So I suggested that you should just pray and ask God to cleanse this place. So that's what they did. And all the problems that we're experiencing stopped. And so we have the power and authority to cleanse a place, and we should use that.
So you will have people in sessions and they will talk about places that they're uncomfortable living, places that they feel are defiled spiritually. And you should tell them that you have that power and authority to cleanse this place. You can, in Christ's name, cleanse this place. Yeah, back to that earlier example where if somebody was murdered or died violently in this place, it's defiled. We have the authority. We don't have to run from that place. We have the authority to ask, ask God to cleanse this place. We can cleanse that place. We don't have to run from it. Another thing that's suspect is ESP activities. But one thing, if somebody uses this phrase ESP, you need to recognize that it has a lot of different meanings to different people. So, for example, this pastor, he was driving to work and suddenly he felt that he must return home quickly. When And when he arrived at his house, it was on fire. He rushed into the house and saved his children. Now, this premonition uh, didn't come from his senses. It came from somewhere else. And a lot of people called it ESP, but he himself, he said it was, he credits God for warning him. So I just point this out is that people use the phrase ESP, but it can mean a lot of different things. And so you really have to hear the whole story before you start uh, deciding what to do with it. ESP could also be some sort of spiritual gift that's not from God. So uh, you have to hear the whole story. Another thing that is suspect is acupuncture, acupressure. Now, it's based on this concept of chi, this invisible life force that cannot be measured, and there's no clear physical explanation for how it works either. So maybe it's spiritual. We really don't know the mechanism that it works. Now, they do something called shaping the chi without touching the body, and this is clearly some sort of supernatural effect because... There's no physical touch involved. Now, acupuncture, acupressure, they both at least touch the body, so there could be something natural instead. But we can't explain it uh, physically, so it may be supernatural. If you're uncomfortable doing acupressure, acupuncture, then don't. If you're spiritually uncomfortable, don't do it. If you're not sure, you can pray and ask God, is it okay? Another thing common in Asia is this reflexology. Every part of the body is mapped to a particular spot in the ear or foot. It will treat that corresponding part of the body. Now, there's no clear physical explanation, again, for how this mapping works. So maybe it's spiritual. So if it makes you uncomfortable spiritually, don't do it. And if you're not sure, you can pray and ask God, is this okay? There's a long history to acupuncture, acupressure, and there's some spiritual things in that history. And so, so if you're going to do it, you should pray and ask God if it's okay, if you have any doubt. Now, the reason I say it this way, instead of just saying, oh, it's wrong, don't do it, I think we need to develop our relationship with God.
we need to recognize when we feel uncomfortable we need to learn to pray and ask god through the holy spirit to show us whether it's okay or not because like i said there's more and more of these things every year and i don't think we should be dependent on some sort of list of all the bad things i think we should be instead we should develop this close relationship with god and with his spirit and rely on him to show us instead so all these things then that we've talked about all these occult activities people who do those things they come under a curse so we need to deal with them before god to remove that curse and then finally if it violates your conscience or you feel convicted by the holy spirit you should not do it so pay attention to what your conscience tells you pay attention to the promptings of the holy spirit and if in doubt pray and ask god is this okay and he can answer that by the way it might be okay for you but not okay for someone else for example in china i went into many temples also in tibet into temples and my purpose wasn't to worship those idols my worship purpose was to understand tibetan buddhism so that i could help those who believed in buddha become believers and help those who were buddhists before uh, get rid of all those ties and so my purpose wasn't to worship and god gave me that permission but if i was with a, another believer and god hadn't given them that permission i would not go in there i wouldn't encourage them to go in there then and so i think that we should not just consider ourselves when we make these decisions but consider those that are with us how uh, it might affect them so let's talk about the process that we go go through so pr it's the hurting one that offers the prayers up to god for resolution christ made it possible for that hurting one to go directly to their heavenly father and and also for the holy spirit to work through them and so we don't as a safe helper have to do the heavy lifting we can normally we let them do that they do the praying because of their status as a son or a daughter they're the one that has the problem and they have access to the father and they have the power of the holy spirit so they pray they pray to the father but here's the thing oftentimes they need to our help to know what to pray they know they have a problem they know they can pray to the father they know the holy spirit can help them but they don't know what to pray and so we can help them and the holy spirit can help them to figure that out so that's our role is to help them just help them to pray so we encourage them to pray to the father they're perfectly capable of doing that because as one of god's children they have a relationship with god as father the steps then let's say you're you're dealing with the mother was buddhist and she took her son to the temple as a child had his name chosen for him and written in the book in the temple 
She would take him to a fortune teller every year to get his fortune. He accepted those words as if they were true. We had this discussion. We understood what the problems were. And so then he would accuse his mother, accuse his mother for dedicating his name in the temple. He might ask God to remove its power, that it's not associated with the temple anymore. He might even choose to change his name. But he would accuse and forgive the mother. And in this case, his mother put the name in the temple. He didn't. So there's nothing to confess. But then later, she took him to the fortune teller. And again, he would accuse and forgive the mother for that. But he always accepted the fortune teller's words. So he would confess that and ask for forgiveness. Later, when he was uh, a young man, he continued going to the fortune teller himself. So he would confess that and ask for forgiveness. So he goes through these steps of accusing and forgiving each the mother and confessing and asking for forgiveness for his part. And that's just the standard forgiveness stuff, standard forgiveness steps. If you stop there, it wouldn't be complete because this particular kind of sin, you've made an allegiance with the kingdom of darkness. So you need to renounce that allegiance. You ask to ask God to nullify that allegiance. Or I think the, the language of uh, you've come in agreement with the, the kingdom of darkness on this. You need to renounce that agreement you need to ask God to cancel that allegiance and to cleanse you from defiling yourself by being involved in these occult activities. And then finally, announce your allegiance to God only. You're his child. Your allegiance is to his kingdom only. And so there's these extra steps you need to go through because you've tied yourself You've come in agreement with kingdom of darkness, so you have to undo that part. Yes. And so that's the steps of six through nine. And then after the hurting one finishes this prayer, these steps one through nine, and of course the safe helper is helping them along the way, then the safe helper adds their witnessing prayer. So-and-so, I heard them accuse and forgive their mother I heard them confess and ask for forgiveness for believing the fortune teller. And thank you, Father, for doing justice for, for him. And thank you, too, for forgiving him, applying Christ's blood so that he is forgiven. And thank you, too, God, for cutting the alliance and for cleansing him. He's done his part. He renounced his allegiance to the kingdom of darkness and and pronounced his allegiance to, to you alone. And thank you, Father. And so there's a witnessing prayer, something like this, that just acknowledges what the wounded one did. Oftentimes, the witnessing prayer is a very powerful thing for, for the hurting one. It doesn't feel complete until the witnessing prayer, until somebody witnesses what they did and so it's a very useful and very powerful step and then finally 
there can be other things that you have to deal with besides these things. You might, sometimes there's very strong emotions. So you have to give those to God. I don't want to, when I went to that fortune teller, I just always felt so scared. I just so much fear in me. So Father, would you bind up that fear, put it under the control of the Holy Spirit so that this memory doesn't affect me anymore. This memory of going to the fortune teller, I don't ever want to think of that again. He cursed me. Every time I went there, he cursed me with his words. I don't want to think about, please put that memory under the control of the Holy Spirit and so on. So there can be other issues that come out of this that you may need to deal with depending on what incident you're dealing with. Now, if there were specific words spoken by the fortune teller that were a that had power, you you might also have to deal with words of power. And that's not on the list there, but you could easily certainly add that, rejecting those words that the fortune teller spoke, rejecting those curses that he spoke. Yeah, so that's another thing that you might need in this situation. So anyway, so there's a process you go through, and sometimes the Holy Spirit will add things. It's like, where did that come from? Never thought about that before, but the Holy Spirit will show you that there's something else that needs to be added in the process. And so you would direct the hurting one or ask them if they would like to add this new thing that God's shown you. That's basically how you deal with all these things we talked about. But there's one last thing, and that's dealing with spirits. And I don't want to minimize this. There are Christians that don't think there are spirits and that if you're a believer that a spirits can't be attached to you and so you don't have to deal with this that's not true there are spirits and they can attach to believers and so this is something we have to recognize and deal with if we don't recognize this as a safe helper we'll be very confused when we're doing a session and we won't completely resolve their problems when it comes to spiritual forces then because the hurting one is a child of God, they also have the power and authority to renounce and get rid of these spiritual forces. They have that authority. They don't, every child of God has this power, has this authority. We have power and authority. Each one of us has power and authority over the evil one. Of course, somebody can help us go through the process but if we think we don't have power and authority over the evil one, then we believe a lie. If we think somebody else has power and authority over the evil one, but we don't, that's not true. We are God's child, and we have that power and authority as his child. In fact, if the person that you're helping is a believer, and they don't want that evil spirit to leave, there's not a thing you can do about it. They have to be in agreement with you or else nothing's going to happen. Not only do they have the power, but if they ask you your help in getting rid of that spirit, they have to be in agreement with you or it's not going to happen. Uh, another aspect is a non-believer doesn't have the power nor the authority to command the spirit to leave. So if you are helping a non-believer, they have no power and no authority to do this. Only you do. So it's only God's children that have this power and authority, not the non-believers don't have that power and authority. 
So if they are a non-believer, then they need a believer to cast that spirit out of them. There's no other way for that spirit to be removed unless they become a believer and then commanded to leave. So if a believer is being demonized to whatever degree, he has the power and authority to take a stand against the evil spirit and to command it to go in the name of Jesus. And until he takes that stand, there's nothing you can do to help him. And so anyway, it's important to, for you as a safe helper to understand that if they don't want that spirit to go, that you can't help them. It's not going to happen. Okay, so how do you deal with these spiritual forces? What we do in, in PR, we, we would say is, okay, first uncover the presence uncover the spiritual force, we would say, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there is a spiritual force present. Usually what happens is that the person you're working with, they'll say something like, I think there might be a spirit present. Okay, this is very common. They're not sure. They're not sure if there's a spirit present, but they have this sense or something's happening where they think there might be a spirit present. So what do you do? You have them pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, is there a spiritual force present? Confirm to me. They have this doubt. They're not certain. So ask the Holy Spirit to confirm whether there is a spiritual force present. Sometimes the Holy Spirit may tell you directly. Sometimes he may tell your safe helper, but usually he'll tell you directly. And then if there is a spirit present, then command that spirit that spiritual force commanded to reveal itself, like, what is your name? But forbid the spirit from manifesting its power. You see all these power struggles, and it doesn't have to be like this. You have the authority to command it not to manifest its power. And we have that authority in, in Christ to do that. So now you know there is a spirit present. And we know what the Spirit's name is. So we command the Spirit, we command that presence to leave in Jesus' name. The hurting one commands that presence to leave in Jesus' name. If that Spirit resists leaving, then you have to find the foothold. What permits that Spirit to be present? So you have to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what the source of the resistance is. What are the actions or the sins that feed and give power to this evil spirit? Oftentimes the name, when you know the name of the spirit, that will give you a very clear idea of where its power comes from and what feeds it. And then you have to pray and ask God to resolve that. Whatever that sin is, you have to resolve it. You have to go through the prayer of forgiveness or whatever in order to resolve it. Once you've done that, then the foothold's been dealt with. So go back and reject the spiritual force again and command it to leave in Jesus' name. So rejecting the spiritual force, what I mean is, I don't want this spiritual force here anymore. I reject this spiritual force and I command it to go in Jesus' name. So why is there a separate step between rejecting the spiritual force and commanding it to go? 
because sometimes people don't want the spiritual force to go. They don't. They're not willing to reject it. They have some sort of special spiritual power from this spiritual force, and so they really don't want to reject it. You must be willing to reject the spiritual force and sometimes spiritual gifts that come with it before you can command it to go in Jesus' name. Otherwise, it won't leave. You have to come out of agreement with that spirit. And then you can command it to leave in Jesus' name. So this is kind of the, the process you go through. And like I said, normally the hurting one is the one that's uncovering this presence, and it's the hurting one that commands the presence to leave in Jesus' name. Occasionally, it may be the safe helper instead. It's important for the hurting one to know that they have this power and authority as God's child. Otherwise, they become very dependent on their safe helper to do all the heavy lifting for them. We ask the hurting one to make these prayers. If the one that you're working with, if they have come from, let's say, a Catholic background, they might see you as a Catholic priest and expect you to do all the praying. But that's not that's not who you are. You're his child. And so you should uh, you should encourage them to pray these prayers and to realize that they have this kind of power and authority as his child. So so that's the process we go through in order to deal with with spirits. I do a lot of forgiveness, help help a lot of people forgive. I do a lot of dealing with lies and truths. And sometimes I deal with spirits. Maybe there's always a spirit there behind these things, but normally I don't find I need to deal with the spirit directly, but occasionally I do. When you need to deal with the spirit, then this is this is how you go about it. It's not a big power struggle. If you've dealt with all the forgiveness issues first, if you don't deal with the spirits until the very last sessions, then all the footholds have been dealt with. So it's not very dramatic. It's they just the spirit just goes because all the footholds have been dealt with. Uh, occasionally, you may have to deal with the spirit earlier that you can't wait to the end because that spirit is interfering with the session. So in that case, you need to you need to deal with it. You need to deal with it now. You can't wait till later. But oftentimes these spirits don't interfere with the session, and so you can wait until the end to deal with it. That's that's it as far as process and how to resolve the effects of any kind of occult involvement and steps to deal with spiritual spiritual forces. So.